This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mark S.A. Smith, and we're going to discuss how he's helping the Nimble C-Suite and the Nimble Company overall become better leaders in their organizations. Before we begin, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you want to discover, embrace, and share your voice, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can help you do that and create the tactical content that delivers. Mark, welcome to the show, my friend. I'm so glad to be here. Zach A. Knight, what an honor. And let's share some brilliant insights Man, I'm for those super, folks watching. I am super excited because we had a great conversation we the other day and when we were meeting each other. And I want to give the audience just a quick opportunity to know a little bit about you. You have a very, very interesting background where you started with a successful career helping to bring to market billions of dollars of disruptive tech. Yeah. You work with heart-centered leaders facing yes. chaos and upheavals to bring yes. them new perspective and help them make wise decisions. As you've transitioned from the experience economy as society where people brought what was memorable to the transformation economy, where people buy meaningful, authentic, and socially responsible business models from the past seem to fall apart. Yes. The solution that you propose is the nimbility of businesses, the individual, the leader, and overall, it's an intersection of resilience and innovation. You've exemplified this in two books that are pre-publication, but we're really going to dive into those where it's the Nimble C-Suite, How to Align the Diverse Strengths of Your Executive Team to Predictably Deliver Extraordinary Results in a Transformational Economy, and the Nimble Company, a proactive, socially responsible framework for driving sustained profits and growth in a chronically chaotic world. Obviously, there is a ton to unpack there, and you have an organization that backs that and ability works. And overall, I really just want to dive into this amazing aspect of leadership. But before we begin, Mark, what's a fun fact that we might not know about you? Well, I got to tell you from that introduction, Zach, I can't hear, can't wait to hear what I have to say today. <laughs> <laughs> That's a heck of a stack of promises there. Oh, we're going to deliver as much as we possibly can in the time we have together. Well, probably the most interesting fact about me is that I am a nomad. I do not own property. I live in a little 200 square foot tiny house that will follow behind my four wheel drive truck wherever I choose to be. And after you know decades of raising families and having a great time doing that, I just downsized from 5,000 square feet to 200 square feet. And it provides me with an extraordinary sense of freedom that I get to go to beautiful places on this planet and have unexpected meetings with extraordinary people. And it gives me the freedom to do anything that I want. In, in this journey, I spend time in wide outdoor spaces that uh, just make my heart sing and my head go, how did this ever happen? <laughs> and I imagine a lot of this comes from your mindset in general, being very nimble. What drove you to that nomad life? What what made you decide, hey, I'm just going to be able to pick up and go wherever I want? Well, it started back in 1982 
That was me 40 years ago. <laughs> With a beautiful quaff. I love that. <laughs> such, an, such an 80s look, right? Very. And, you know, I wanted to live this nomad life from the very beginning. When I got out of college, I actually went shopping for RVs, and but discovered very quickly that it was not supportive in working for a corporation and showing up in a nine-to-five job on a regular basis. And so I, the root cause of this actually goes way, way back. But I turned my desire to be a nomad into a business. And so I have been paid to work in 54 countries. I lived in Amsterdam for three years. And so I've still lived that nomadic lifestyle. But what really re-triggered it was the pandemic. And at the very beginning of the camp pandemic, I said, I am not going to get locked down in a big city and be miserable. And so I got rid of everything except what would fit into a RAV4. And yeah, I dumped it all. <laughs> okay, I still have a few guitars in storage. I'm a musician and I do have a few things I can't carry with me. They're just too big. And so I struck out and I stayed at Airbnbs for 18 months, a month at a time in extraordinary places that would allow me to go see extraordinary things. So I lived in Montana for a while and hung out in Yellowstone lived in Utah for a while and saw the, the great aspects of Moab and the Utah geology that is absolutely mind-bending. And I lived in Tennessee for a while in the Smoky Mountains. And so things of this nature gave me a chance to be free. I essentially went to places where people were not afraid. And I think that's an important component in leadership is that as leaders, we cannot afford to have fear because leading out of fear is merely defensive and you cannot make advances when you're afraid. You have to be without fear so that you can create. Creation only comes, inspiration only comes in the absence of fear. And so as leaders, that is a root cause that we have to eliminate. And of course, there's some things we can do to do that. And actually, it's part of the part of what we do in the Nimble Company is we understand and we study causes of risk so that we know how to mitigate them and manage them when they show up, which reduces the fear level to something that is non-existent. Oh yeah, we were prepared for that. And then I made the transition into a trailer. It's a camper. I live in a camper. <laughs> Last summer when Airbnbs tripled in cost because there's a lot of other people that decided to do what I did. And so this is actually much more convenient because everything I need is within reach. And I don't have to load in and load out. But my friends, if you if you really want an extraordinary opportunity to see the amazing things of our country, I suggest at least spending a few months in a nomad lifestyle. I love several aspects of your story and your journey. And obviously, you're, you're living that life that a lot of us think about these days and dream about these days where you're able to just kind of bump around anywhere you want to go. And you mentioned that it was part of COVID, obviously, and that that was a big shift for a lot of people. But I know you've put out different things with content and overall a big piece. And one of the top quotes that I see on a lot of your content is talking about from Albert Einstein, in the midst of every crisis lies great opportunity. Being a nomad is one of those aspects of its great opportunity to do the traveling aspect of things. But I'd imagine this kind of feeds into your business world as well as where you just seize the upheaval of different things. And that's a big aspect of what leaders these days should be doing. 
must. Otherwise, you won't survive. Zach, you know, right now we live in the most chaotic environment in the world. We've never seen this level of chaos, probably not since the Second World War, where all of us have been, we have been deeply wounded by the impact of this pandemic. We have been separated from loved ones. We have been scared to death. And we have been literally smothered by the mask mandates. And so these have caused deep psychic wounds. All three of the core human fears have been deeply wounded. Those three fears just quickly, and this is out of straight, straight out of psychology, this is not my work, is we have the fear of abandonment, we have the fear of smothering, and we have the fear of annihilation. And all three of those fears have been deeply wounded because of the COVID situation. Now, in the midst of this chaos, we have to identify ways of bringing help, soothing, healing to our customers. Otherwise, they're going to be deeply mired in that fear and they can't be inspired either. And so there is no new normal. (laughs) Normal is not something you can ever expect ever again in the future. It's going to be accelerated change. And if you're going to survive, what you have to do is forecast the best you can into what customers may need in the future and provide that because that's one of the aspects of true leadership. Leaders go where nobody has been before. A true nimble leader invents a future that does not exist using methods that have not yet been invented, where best practices have not yet been established. And so it takes courage and valor to be willing to risk being wrong and venture forth into the unknown. But that is the definition of a leader. And if you're not willing to take that on, if you're not willing to do that, better to be a follower. And I love everything you're talking about with the nimbility and you've really defined it in a very interesting way. And I think my favorite piece of it is that you say nimbility is the ability to be strengthened by external stressors rather than be broken by them. But this is something that I would imagine isn't necessarily you developed it 50 years ago and all of a sudden this is like, you know, brilliance on paper. I imagine this is something you developed over your lifetime where you've learned different aspects, you've accumulated knowledge and experience for yourself, and you found that an ability in the definitions that you place behind it for leaders are really just overall the best methodology, best practices, if you will. Can you take us back to some of that early leadership experience? You have a story you can tell us about where you really learned what nimbility is essentially in the game when you were there trying to learn what a good leader looks like? Absolutely. You know, if I look back 50 years, you know, I was just out after the next party meeting the next girl. And so there wasn't an awful lot of leadership there other than leading the testosterone fuel nature of a young man's life. And, you know, all wisdom comes from experience and all experience has some form of shock and pain and disruption. Otherwise, we would just stay on that same path of where's the next party. And don't get me wrong, parties are great, but they're just not what drives me anymore. (laughs) I fortunately have moved past that season. I'm grateful for the season, but I've moved past it. Early, early, early on in my career, I actually have two and a half degrees. My first degree was in communications, radio, television, print media production. You can still hear the radio voice. I spent years in radio and it's trained, you know, the flat American accent. It's American broadcast standard. I was raised in the South. Otherwise I'd be speaking, I'd be speaking more Southern, but that's, but this is with some banjos in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I like slide guitar myself. Yes. (laughs) 
So, you know, early on in my career, I, I was I helped bring to market a brand new piece of disruptive technology. And we won't go deep into the technology because it's absolutely irrelevant to all but a very small fraction of the world. But nonetheless, it was able to do things that all the prior pieces of measurement equipment could not do. It was it turned manual measurements into automatic measurements. And this is highly disruptive in that once you start using this to do automatic measurements, you'll never go back to doing manual measurements. Yet, you know, as brilliant as this is, I learned there was high resistance to bringing this new advanced technology into the hands of people who could truly use it. And what I thought was the way to do this was the traditional way of selling products. The way you sell products is you talk about features and the advantages and the benefits they have. And actually that's straight out of the product economy, which is essentially three economies back, product economy and service economy, experience economy. Now we're moving into the transformational economy. But by the way, the economy before those two before, just to make that complete, is the commodity economy and then subsistence economy. So those are the fundamentally the seven economies that have been on this planet since uh, we can remember. Subsistence is caves, right? We were hunting bears together. And, and so there wasn't really much trade. Then commodity is when we settled down and started raising crops. And, and then the product economy came with the industrial revolution. And then the, the service economy, when we had, we were all so busy, we needed to buy time. And then we moved to the experience economy where we needed to, to buy status and importance. And now we're moving to the transformational economy where we buy meaning. So that just sort of sets that up. So I was using product economy methodology to bring this disruptive technology to market. And unfortunately, people were so afraid of what this might do to their jobs. Well, you're not going to need me anymore if this thing can do it automatically. No, 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 no. You don't understand. This is going to free you up to do more things. It's going to free you up the slavery of having to do the calculations that you have done into now being focused on the creation and this thing just measuring what you're advancing. And so I had a breakthrough understanding that you don't sell features when you're selling a disruptive technology. What you do is you're selling new capacity, new capability. What you're doing is you're selling dream. This can make your dream come true. And so that radically, very early in my career, taught me that instead of focusing on pain all the time, which is the traditional method of selling, you know, find the customer's pain, make them feel it, and then give them a way to make the pain go away. In fact, people still talk about customer pains, which is ridiculous. Customers don't use the word pain unless they're going to a doctor. Don't use anything but the customer's language so you have the customer's mindset when you're talking to them. To do otherwise is just, it's not useful. So I learned how to sell dream outcome when I'm selling disruptive technology. And of course, the end result is no, we, nobody would ever go back to the old way, but you couldn't sell them how you got it done. What you had to sell them is what they could get done. And so the shift was for, from where the product was the hero, which is traditional feature advantage, benefit, to where the customer was the hero. And when you sell by making the customer the hero, life changes radically. And you can become extremely nimble because you're no longer fixed on the product. Instead, you're fixed on the customer. Yeah. And I know there's a great book, and I don't know why it escapes me right now, but it's about branding and it focuses on you being the guide of your client solution. And the client is the hero, like you're talking about. And I, I well, love yes. that aspect. 
Yeah, it's, you're probably talking about Miller's story yes. brand. Story brand, that, yes. Yeah, that's it, right? He really captured it well in that book. Yeah. And I discovered when I was in my late 20s, and he's yeah. really articulated it well in his book. His work is worth studying. Yeah, I love that as an understanding. But what I think a lot of us lack as leaders is recognizing like what the best skill is that we need. A lot of people talk about you have to be persuasive. And you've outlined persuasive being one of those. You've outlined seven skills that you feel like the nimble leader really needs to focus on from presence, personal control, foresight, business acumen, communication skills, and collaboration, competence, persuasion skills, and be able to make resourceful decisions. So those are seven skills that you really highlight in your book. Can you highlight a little bit more? What do you think is that first one we really need to be focused on? Or is there one that kind of measures above the rest that we should really be thinking about as leaders? Well, Zach, you presented them in roughly the order that of importance that I believe that they are. Now, all seven of them are critical to being a successful, sustainable leader. And, you know, you can get by in emergency situations without all seven being intact. But in my experience, if there's a leadership deficit of any one of them, you will not be successful. You can only go so far, then you're going to stumble and fall, and you're going to learn those skills if you're going to continue on. So it starts with presence. And the idea here is it's impossible to lead if you cannot capture a person's attention and hold it. There is no leadership without presence. Nobody pays. hmm? I was going to say, and you said operatively, hold it. Not just get it, it, hold it right? Really emphasizing that piece of it. And so it's that holding it that creates the worth over the long haul. You know, anybody can get attention by doing something stupid. You can do something theatrical and gain somebody's attention. But very quickly, those who are deciding whether they're going to follow you or not, are going to look for depth beyond that attention getter. But the, the idea behind presence is simply this, are you authentic? Authenticity is required for leadership, which means you are who you are. You're brilliant and you're flawed. You're humble and you recognize your greatness. You are a human who is desiring to take people into the unknown and your decisions aren't perfect, but they come from a place and an intention to help everybody who is going to follow you. Your customers, your people, your vendors and the community around you are going to be better because of those intentions. That's the authenticity that's required. And quite frankly, that's the thing people crave today. And it is indeed the healing for the wounding that we have had at such a deep level over the past two years. Yeah. And it's so true. And I think it's really interesting because you mentioned different things. I usually love to highlight a skill that we should focus on and then move into what the standard or most common blind spot you've seen in leadership that a leader has. And you've actually even outlined beyond that, creating a blind spotting culture, um, which is the first time I've heard of that type of essentially accountability within the group. It sounds like, can you, can you outline what those blind spots are? Have you seen one that kind of weighs heavier than others? And then talk to us about the culture of being a blind spotter. Well, Without a doubt, the three elements that encourage disruption, 
that discourage nimbility are blind spots, misunderstandings, and withholds. If those exist in a culture, either intentionally or unintentionally, that company is going to be disrupted because you get blindsided or about a, out of misunderstanding, you make bad decisions or because somebody is withholding information you need to know, you make incomplete decisions. And so in the Nimility book, we talk about how th those three must be part of the culture. If you're going to be nimble without them, you can't be nimble. And the biggest blind spot is the belief that the C-suite is infallible. And that's just not true. And a good example of that is when the Dow Jones Industrial Average was formed. Today, not one of the original is on the list. The last to be on that was GE, and they dropped off the list several years ago. And so if you have this infallible C-suite of the powerhouses of industry unable to sustain their organization, that's a massive blind spot. And so we have, you know, a bazillion examples of where blind spots have destroyed companies. And blind spotting comes from this arrogant, egotistical belief that the boss knows what's right. Well, that is correct for a time. The problem is the world changes, technology changes, culture changes, what's important changes. And if a leader doesn't keep up with understanding what customers are wanting, what their employees are wanting, what vendors are wanting, they will be blindsided. And the way to think about this is probably the most dangerous thing that a leader can do is foresee the future through the lens of the past. Now, the reason why history repeats itself, it doesn't. The lessons of history repeat themselves. <laughs> I was going to say what you, you said something really interesting, and it hit me from the military world where there's more singular authoritarian type mindsets where it's like, yes. I just tell you what to do, like just plain and simple, right? And that infers that the boss knows the best decision to make. And generally speaking, a good leader in the military, they will have more of that decentralized command where they're empowering lower level leaders to make decisions that don't necessarily escalate to that C-suite. But can you talk to us a little bit more about when the boss doesn't know what's right or doesn't always know, know what is best, especially with this Gen Z group coming into the world, right? You have to manage a Gen Z totally different than the millennial, which I am, or the older generations, right? So the boss might not know it's best with technology and social media and so on and so forth. Have you seen a mythology where there's like a group think or mastermind of the C-suite or how, have you seen that work where the boss can stay nimble and stay in, in the boss position by managing those personalities? Have you seen a good solution for that? Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Zach, just a heck of a lot. I want to go back to your original example, then I want to move forward into the, the question that you asked. The military has made a radical departure from having command and control at the very top to moving to autonomic, autonomic teams where you have small squads of people who are making complete tactical decisions on the ground based on context. And the outcome, of course, is stunning 
stunning. You know, the days of soldiers meet each other in battlefields attaching bayonets to rifles is completely over. That will never happen ever again. Instead, we send forth little squads of six to eight guys who have everything they need to complete the mission, and they have the capacity to make decisions without checking in on anybody because the mission is clear and the tactics are within their direction. And so the military has moved to this elite, nimble approach already, preceding companies. I would say that there's a lot for companies to learn about these uh, squads that go in and accomplish amazing things because they operate as a single mind. In, in reality, I mean, it takes a lot. And when I was in Afghanistan, it took a lot to cultivate that type of critical thinking capability, essentially, is what it boils yes. down to. Where it's not taught. Person, right. The military has to install it. Yes. It, it is one of those that you have to develop that culture to a certain extent for that to be able to cultivate itself. Yes. Is that where you see, because you don't necessarily see that in high-level organizations right now. No, you and don't. It's one of those that I think needs to shift that way to what you're talking about with the blind spots and that aspect of things. That could be a huge blind spot as you have these younger generations coming through. Because then we go back to that whole point of holding attention and holding all of that. You won't if you're not aligning yourself more with this younger generation coming through. So what can we do to like fight that, combat that, or be better about that? I like that. I want to put one parenthesis around what you just said. The reality is that the squads are designed to eliminate all blind spots. That's, that is how they can accomplish the amazing things they do is they have no known blind spot. And so, you know, that is an exemplar that we can use in corporations where blind spots are installed culturally. You can't talk about that. You can't challenge the boss. Mm. You know, you cannot talk about things that are outside of, you know, stay in your lane. Well, staying in your lane is not a very good advice when the lane keeps moving. <laughs> and expanding and, and cross-culturing. I mean, there's so many. Yeah, that's exactly right. So part of the installation of the culture is to create a culture of blind spotting where people have the opportunity of well-intentioned ways and in private pointing out a potential blind spot. Now, blind spotting is not designed to be punitive. It's not designed to be, I told you so. It's not designed to be an ego trip. It's designed to be a true, we need for you to know this so that you can keep this in your perspective. If you choose not to use that's fine, but I feel that you need to understand that this is something that we as an organization have ignored and so therefore could blindside us. So there is a a process in in how you install blind spotting into a culture. So all executives have to be open to blind spot feedback. All employees have to be feel free to offer blind spotting without any feeling of retribution or career damage because they've pointed out something that could be a challenge. And, And actually, that is the cause of withhold. It's one of the causes of withhold. The reason why people don't repercussion, right? Absolutely. Right on. They hold things back because one, they don't think the information is important, Mm -hmm. but they don't have the context to recognize that is important information that happens. The second is because of fear of damage to their career. If they point out something, if they identify something as problematic. And the third one is if somebody's playing politics, they're withholding because they want to do a power play. 
And so withholding is intentionally creating a blind spot. And that's dangerous for so many different reasons. I mean, it really is one of those that's hard to recognize, right? Obviously, because it's a blind spot. But then if you don't recognize it quickly, it could very quickly be the downfall of the organizational culture that you have instilled or that you're trying to instill. And I know we kind of glossed over the fact that you have these books, but I want to highlight as the resource toward the nimble aspect of leadership. Can you tell us a little bit about your books that you have coming out? Well, I'll be delighted to. So first of all, you've done a really fantastic way of framing up why this is so important. Because of the chaos in the world, there is no new normal. The lanes keep moving. We have to learn how to operate in a state of uncertainty. And in the past, and actually this comes out of the concept of both the product world, the, the product economy and the service economy, without that consistency, it's impossible to deliver. And so if we bring with us the leadership concepts of a product world, that means that we want to set up a, a production line and, and stamp out identical items over and over and over again with a high level of consistency and quality. Well, we're at the point where you know that you, we have to do that extremely rapidly, be able to change the line within days, not months or years. And so there's this need for us to change the philosophy of how do we handle disruption? How do we handle changes in the marketplace? And the changes happen just, you know, as you can see, faster and faster and faster. And so the fundamental core principle behind the nimble C-suite and the nimble company is the concept of nimbility. And yeah, it's a made up word, but we needed a word to illustrate what it is and then attach a name to it. And so nimbility, as you pointed out in the introduction, is the intersection of resilience and innovation. If you're living in a chaotic world, the way that you, that the way you handle that is by being innovative. Chaos results when you cannot recognize a pattern and you can't find an existing tool to handle the problem. That's why we call it chaos. If we recognized it, we wouldn't call it chaos. <laughs> <laughs> if we could deal with it, we wouldn't call it chaos. It's the fact that we're facing a new situation that we hadn't faced before. And so we need to come up with some, some new ways of, of identifying the underlying patterns and some new tools and way of handling the new pattern that we can identify. That's innovation. That's why it's so critical to do so. And of course, the problem with innovation is it challenges all of us. A leader likes to think that they're controlling the future. Well, there's some ways to do that, but the reality is that we always have disruptive things showing up. So the way that we handle this well is by also bringing in the concept of resilience. And resilience is the ability to bounce back. You can't bounce. If you can't bounce, you can't bounce back. So a lot of systems these days are brittle in that if you introduce any change to the system, they will break. And probably the greatest example of that is the, the traditional architecture for computer systems. Computer systems are set up for stability. And the, the way that they're set up also makes them fairly inflexible. The end result is we now have a world full of cloud computing, where you rely on the vendor to provide us with the flexibility we need instead of having that flexibility on site. And with software as a service where we can go out there and we can choose from 150 marketing programs because that provides us with the flexibility we need versus having our own 
stuck system back at the house. <laughs> so we're seeing a lot of that in process as we go. This resilience comes through as a service type of opportunities. And the whole world is moving to as a service for a lot of great reasons, not the least of which is the customer has a high degree of resilience and flexibility. Resilience also comes from mindset. As a soldier, you understand that the way that you handle battle, where was Rommel that said, no battle plan face, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. <laughs> and another great leader philosopher, Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. Yeah. Yes. Very much in alignment, both of them. <laughs> right. So, you know, you plan all you like. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so what that means is that we have to have resilience of mindset, which means, oh, new piece of information. Hmm. Let's think about this for a moment. I think we need to alter our direction. So mindset is, and of course, Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, which has been very popular, really cracked that open where you either have a fixed mindset or you have a, a flexible mindset. And there's much more to it, but I, I'm grateful for her book and helping people at least start talking about that idea. So mindset is how you view your world. What is the filters you use? In the book, we call them lenses. What is the lens that you use to identify what's important and what's not important? And every person on this planet has a different set of lenses. There are 7 billion different mindsets out there. Now, we try to come together where we have a fairly high overlap of lenses for us to accomplish that, where we have high overlap in lenses, we call those friends. And where we have a very low overlap of lenses, we call those enemies. <laughs> because I guarantee you, our enemies believe in what they're doing. They think what they're doing is the right thing through their lenses. And so that mindset is important for you to recognize the fact that there are certain principles, fundamental cultural principles that we're going to have to embrace but on top of those principles, we're going to have a high level of flexibility. So some of those inflexible principles is integrity. If you're going to survive in the Z gen and alpha gen world, you have to have integrity. You have to do what you say. You have to say what you do. And you can't do anything else. You can't sneak behind their backs and do something that is out of integrity, different than what you say you're going to do. We also have to bring to this accountability which is that I will do what I say. And if I don't, I'll make it right. We also have to have collaboration. We can't do this alone. Nobody can do anything alone anymore. Now, yes, we have leaders that consider and come up with ideas and thoughts. And there, only, there is only one architect for a business. Only one person can decide what the cathedral is going to look like. And now, of course, how we assemble that cathedral is left up to the tactical deployers, those who are doing the stone masonry and the plumbing and the electrical work. And there's some flexibility there, but the overall architecture has to be done by one person. You cannot build, you cannot build anything meaningful out of a committee. It does not work because the committee each has a different lens. <laughs> so accountability is critical. Collaboration is critical. So the other aspect is a positive mindset, which is despite what we see, we're going to be okay. I absolutely love all of that. And it's such a, a great way to highlight everything you're working on with your books and you have so much going on with Nobility Works. 
I'm really curious after all these years of leadership and, and training and educating yourself, you're really a student of life and you've really been studying this as a science. And I absolutely love that. But I'm really curious, Mark, what is the legacy you want to leave on the world with all the amazing things you're putting out there? You know, that's actually really easy. There are many, many people that want to leave the world a better place and they don't know how. They don't have the mindset. They don't have the tool set. They don't have the identity. They have the identity, which is I want to change the world. I want to be a world changer. I want to be a vision maker. I want to be a world changer. They have the identity, but they may not have the, the complete mindset or tool set, or equally importantly, they don't have the habit set to accomplish this. So it's my desire to offer to these people a systematic approach to the mindset, skill set, and habit set that's required for them to be able to change the world. I absolutely love that, Mark. And I think it's an amazing mission that you're already accomplishing. And I want to give the audience the opportunity to, of course, pick up more of the content from you, the books, your social media, your website. Give us the best way to contact, reach out to you, and see more of your content. Well, I'm going to give you two options. Option one is connect with me on LinkedIn. Marks on LinkedIn.com, M-A-R-K-S-O-N, LinkedIn.com will take you directly to your my profile. There's a lot of Mark Smiths out there. Of course, you could also search for Mark S.A. Smith, but I want to make it easy for you. And let's connect. Just say, hey, you know, I saw you on the, the Tactical Leader podcast. I'd like to connect. And I'll absolutely say yes. If you have a burning need, Mark, I need to talk to you right now. Text me, 719 440 0439. So 719-440-0439. And I'll be delighted to talk to you. So, you know, if, if you have something burning, text me. Otherwise, if you just want to stay in communication with me or ask some questions that aren't burning, let's connect through LinkedIn and I will respond to you. Awesome. I love it. Thank you for putting out that direct info, Mark. Uh, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out to Mark, find out more about how to become that nimble leader, find out more of his content. And of course, come back this Friday as we delve into the action steps toward nimbility. Mark, thanks so much for your time, my friend. I'm honored to be here, Zach. Thank you for the work you do to spread the word on how to be a better tactical leader. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.